we left off on chapter 10, verse 23. And what we're talking about is Jesus ascending. This is this fascinates me. Jesus is sending the 12 out uh, into the world to do some ministry. And he told them, you know, what they're going to be able to do, all these amazing things, and what message to preach and where they should go. And then he starts telling them, and everybody's like, yay! And then he starts telling them, well, here's how they're going to treat you. And Frank brought up a very good point. This isn't just for them. It, was, it wasn't just for that trip. It'll be that way from then until Jesus Christ comes back. So after he tells them that he's sending them and uh, what they're going to be able to do, he goes through this list of things they're going to face. And it's tough. And we pick up on verse 23, and it says, But whenever they persecute you, <laughs> that, that's not uh, something you want to hear. It's not saying if they persecute you. It says when they persecute you. In one city, flee to the next. This may be the only place in Christianity where it says run away. You know, it reminds me of the Monty Python where the rabbit comes out and they said, run away, run away. Um, if you don't know what that is, never mind. Um, but it's interesting that the person, the reason he's telling them to flee to the next is take the message with you there. Uh, for truly I say to you, you will not finish going through the cities of Israel till the Son of Man comes. And we talked about that last time. I just wanted to pick this up again. Um, that the mission that we're on doesn't end. Their mission didn't end when they hit all the towns in Israel. It's all the people. It's not about the towns. And uh, that's kind of important. Does anybody remember exactly where I left off? I know we talked about that real quick last time. Because uh, I remember Kevin brought it up. But anyway, we'll just go back over it. Uh, Jesus is continues his pregame inspirational speech to his team before they go on the field. He tells them, you're going to run all over you. You won't be able to stop them. You're going to get carried off the field, injured and with pain. You are When you are, the people are going to boo and throw stuff at you. Uh, witnessing in Israel will be like playing against Philadelphia. I believe I told you that last time. They, will, they booed Santa Claus. Uh, Jesus isn't telling them to retreat spiritually. He's telling them to be smart in the world, to live to preach another day. And also that persecution... And he tells you this. That persecution is for a purpose. It's to get you to go. It'll send you to the next town. Um, the, the success you have in one town won't keep you there. I'm going to keep you moving, and the way I'm going to keep you moving is I'm going to make you go. So as long as you're obeying me, no matter what else is happening, you're winning. As long as you're doing what I sent you to do and doing what I told you to do, you're winning. I don't care what the world looks like. Then he says, a disciple is not above his teacher, nor a slave above his master. Uh, what he's basically saying is, keeping the sports analogy, is take one for the gipper, because the gipper has taken many for you. If they treated the Son of God this way, what would make you think they will treat you any different? And if you stop and think about this, this is quite the recruitment speech for ministry. Um, what he's saying is, it's really going to be tough. But I'm sending you, and I'm telling you to do it, so go do it. Um, John 10, 31 through 33. This is Jesus saying, they treated me this way. Uh, John 10, 31 through 33, one of my favorite lines about Jesus and his interaction with the Jewish leaders. It says, the Jews picked up stones again to stone him. This isn't the only time they tried to stone Jesus. 
Jesus answered them, I showed you many good works from the Father. For which one of them are you stoning me? It's Jesus saying, I came here, I did only good things. I've never done anything to hurt anybody, and you're trying to kill me. Because the truth that he's presenting confronts them. And they don't have an answer to the truth, so they kill the messenger. They're trying to kill the messenger. Well, Jesus was surely more than the messenger. We're messengers. He was the message. Uh, Psalms 109, 3 through 5. This gives you some idea what Jesus is talking about. This is prophecy. They have also surrounded me with words of hatred and fought against me without cause. In return for my love, they act as my accusers. But I am in prayer. I stay close to God, is what he's saying. Thus they have repaid me evil for good and hatred for my love. So, what Jesus is saying, if this happened to me, don't be surprised if it happens to you. It's not because you've done something wrong. It's not because God has left you. It's because that's how it is. Verse 25, he says, It is enough for the disciples that he become, that he become like his teacher and the slave like his master. If they have called the head of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they malign the members of his household? Is what he's saying is they're calling me Satan? What do you think they're going to call you? And remember, this is his speech before they go out. Attack the messenger if you can't defeat the message. Well, our message can't be defeated, and we are the messengers. So assume you'll be attacked. And there is nothing they won't use to attack you. If they did this to me, they'll do it to you. Now, we're going to spend a little time talking about this. Uh, well, not yet. But uh, Easton's, as far as Beelzebub, that's a neat word that's in there. It's a name given to Satan found only in the New Testament. Here in Matthew 10.25, uh, Matthew 12.24, and Matthew 12.27, and then again in Mark 3.22. It's probably the same name as Beelzebub, with two A's, the god Baal, uh, the god of Ekron, meaning what it means is the lord of the flies, or, or as others think, the lord of dung, or the dung god. In other words, the god of crap. Uh, so that's what they're calling Jesus. Jesus gives three examples of his relationship with his own here. He calls the teacher, master, and head of the house. That's who Jesus is to them. That's who Jesus is to us. He is all three of these things. Uh, so learn from him, obey him, and he will take care of you because that's what a head of a house does. Then he says, therefore, <laughs> I don't know how therefore connects here. It doesn't for me because he just said, man, a whole bunch of really bad stuff's going to happen to you. Therefore, don't fear them. <laughs> well, he's connecting it to they did it to me. Well, that doesn't make me feel a whole lot better. What would make me feel better is if uh, they're not going to do it to you. That would make me feel better. But he says, therefore, don't fear them. For there is nothing concealed that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. So that makes you wonder, how does that connect? Why should, okay, all these bad things are going to happen. You're telling me not to fear. You're telling me why they're going to happen. You said, don't be afraid. And then your response, why not to be afraid, is because there's nothing concealed that won't be revealed or hidden that won't be known. How does that make me feel better? How does that take my fear away? What he's telling them is you win. That's what he's saying. Uh, Jesus tells them not to fear 
while telling them that the hard things are coming their way, knowing that God knew beforehand, knowing that this isn't something you should be afraid of. I know it's going to happen. You know it's going to happen. It needs to happen to spread the gospel. So you shouldn't be afraid when these things happen. I'm giving you a heads up. Do not fear is used three times here in verse 26, 28, and 31. After this list of the horrible things that are going to happen, and that was just the last one, if you remember back the things they're going to do to them uh, for going out on this little ministry tour. Three times he tells them, don't be afraid. Jesus is telling them it all comes out in the judgment. In the end, you will be vindicated in front of all mankind, the whole host of heaven. You cannot lose if you're, a dis if you're obedient. You win. Rejoice when you are persecuted for my name's sake. Don't be afraid that God left you or that you did something wrong. This is the game plan working itself out because when these things happen, when persecution comes, when it gets hard, Satan will definitely tell you, you screwed up or God left you. He will tell you one of those two things. And Jesus is telling you, no, I'm telling you this ahead of time. So then what happens, you think back and remember, Jesus told us this. Uh, know that you win. Don't fear them. Fear God. Isaiah 51, 7 through 8. Listen to me, you who know righteousness, a people in whose heart is my law. Do not fear the reproach of man, nor be dismayed at their revilings. For the moth will eat them like a garment, and the grub will eat them like wool. But my righteousness will be forever, and my salvation to all generations. Yeah, they're, it's going to be tough. Yeah, they're mean, and they may be able to, they may do things to you, but you win. Verse 27, I, what I tell you in the darkness, speak in the light. And what you hear, whisper, whisper it in your ear, proclaim on the housetops. What God teaches us in our private lives is not just for our own edification. Each one of us here has been taught by God for years in the way that we need to learn and the way we need to be taught. Each one of us, there's the list of things we all need to learn, but each one of us is learning something different at a different time and in a different way. Well, that's for something. It's not just for you. Uh, these are things that are done privately with you. But there will come a time when the things you've learned privately will minister to somebody. Where all the things that you went through and the ways that God taught you and what it cost you will pay benefit, a reap a benefit for somebody else. Remember, Jesus is talking to them privately. He pulled the 12 aside. And he told them this. This isn't a, a message to everybody. This is a message to his own. And he says, I'm telling you these things here so that you can go out there. Remember, they're being sent out to do what? To preach the kingdom of God is at hand. That's what he told them you're going out to do. That's why you're going to do miracles. That's why you're going to raise the dead. That's why you're going to heal le lepers and the blind will see and the deaf will hear. For the message. Well, that message, which I've been telling you guys in private, take it out there. Those three and a half years you spent with me, the three years, now's the time. Jesus often taught them away from the public or individually. And it tells us when he does. It says he took his 12 and he took them aside and he spoke to them. Well, we're being told that for a reason. What he's saying here is there's an expectation for all of us to pass on what we know. You don't, you're not expected to pass on what you don't know. 
He doesn't expect you to make up an answer for a question people ask you that you don't know an answer to. But what you do know, speak with conviction I, because you learned it. Uh, you've been taught so that you could teach others. Once again, verse 28. Do not fear those who kill the body but are unable to kill the soul. Wow. Don't fear those who can kill you. But rather, fear him who is able to destroy both the soul and the body in hell. There, we, we, we hit, so far, we've heard the word Beelzebub, and we heard the word hell all woven into a message of God sending his people out to do ministry. After telling them not to fear, Jesus tells them what they should fear. He's not saying there's nothing to fear. He's saying fear as in deep reverential awe for the one who could send you to hell. Uh, that will put in perspective what they're threatening to do to you and actually what they're bringing upon themselves. So if you get the feeling that evil is winning, it's not. Evil is heading there. That's already been, evil has already lost, even though it feels like they're winning in the moment. Why are the evil people defeating me? They're not. Uh, this is all cast out. What occurs in this world is incidental compared to the next. This has to do, what he's telling them is keep an eternal perspective. Never let it go out of your mind. Because if you focus on this world and forget the one to come, Satan will just chew you up and spit you out. If you are eternal, then keep an eternal perspective. Everything in this world uh, works to keep your gaze on the temporal. And the only thing that keeps your eyes on the eternal is death. That's why it says uh, it is better to go often into the house of mourning than to the house of feasting. Uh, the scripture says you're better off going to a funeral home than to a Super Bowl party because it causes you to think about what matters. That is the power of death. That is the power that every person leaves here. That is the gift that every person leaves here leaves for the people who are still alive. It grabs you for a minute and it makes you focus on reality. That's what death does. And Jesus, in a way, brings it up. He's talking about hell. He's talking about after you die. Don't worry about the one who kills you. Think about what happens after you die. Always remember, you're going to die, and you are going to die soon. If you live another 50, 60, 70 years, it's soon. And you don't understand that until you get older, then all of a sudden you get a perspective of how fast this goes. Don't invest too much emotional energy into this life and its problems, and its threats, and the possibilities of what can happen, because it's going to happen. You're going to die. So don't worry about them threatening killing you. Your death is in God's hands, unless you take it out of it. I mean, if you drink and drive, then you ask for what you ask for. But uh, the truth of the matter is, it's the, when you give your life to him, you give your death to him. It's his. Uh, Lord, take it and do the best possible thing with my death. Uh, whatever it can do to make the kingdom advance, do it. You know, I, there's no greater honor in a way of going out than that. Um, it is wisdom to consider the eternal over the temporal. 
this speaks to justice. Why am I facing hardship for doing God's will from people who despise God? Why are they winning? Well, what he's telling you is they're never winning. They never were. This is God saying, don't worry about it. Nobody gets away with anything. Don't judge God's judgment. <laughs> don't judge God's judgment and his justice until the court is adjourned for the last time. As Hebrews 10.31 says, it is a terrible thing to fall into the hand of the living God. Now, that's speaking about people who are coming before the Lord who didn't come to him here, but only come to him there. What does scripture say about those who know the Lord? What does Paul say? I'm torn whether it's there to go. It's a benefit to me either way. One's a great benefit to me. The other one's a benefit to the kingdom. I'll leave it in God's hands. Ecclesiastes 8, 12 through 13, because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed quickly, therefore the hearts of the sons of men uh, among them are given fully to do evil. Although a sinner does evil a hundred times, it's telling you right there, they're going to do evil a hundred times, and it's going to look like they're getting away with it. And may even lengthen his life. He may live longer than a righteous person. Still, I know, I know that it will be well for those who fear God. Who fear him openly in other words we win um the next what i have now is uh quite a bit on hell because it came up and hell is a very no pun intended deep subject uh or a hot subject deep and hot subject there we go um what we assume about it isn't always right uh, it's been a long, I, I was quite old before I actually heard a real teaching on hell because each of us in our minds, we see it and we catch little verses where it talks about hell. So we concoct what hell would be and we get it from movies and from the world and the things we see on TV and, you know, uh, all these, uh, dumb shows that are talking about, you know, the end times where we have to stop the antichrist from coming, you know, as if we could, you know, as if that's something we could do. Uh, but it's quite deep. So oh, you know what I'm going to do? I'm, I'm going to stop now. We're, we're going to wrap it up. And um, because that's something I want to start fresh on. And it, it's going to take about 10, 15 minutes. Um, just so that you have a basic understanding of what Scripture actually says about hell and the different phrases and words that are used. They don't all mean the same thing. So that when I know... We did this a few years back, but uh, it's important enough that uh, we have an understanding of what such an important topic means. Because most of the time, to be quite honest, we made it up. What we know about hell and what we think about hell, I would say at least 50% of it, we just made up because we didn't look into it. And it does take a little work. So I'll wrap it up there and I will try to what verse was that? That was verse 28, hell. We'll do that. Let me write that down. Any questions, comments, anything like that? Verse 28. <coughs> and I'll write hell. I mean, undoubtedly hell is real. Jesus just used it. He just told us something very strong about it. And he applied it to a situation. And uh, 
just because it is no longer our destiny doesn't mean we shouldn't know something about it. Uh, it's there for a reason. He tells us what we need to know for a reason. And once again, maybe someday we'll be able to help somebody with it. So any questions, anything? If not, we'll just, uh, we'll pray. Lord, we thank you for this fellowship. We, we thank you for your word. And I thank you for these people. And Lord, I let whatever your word taught us today, I just ask that it find a home in our hearts and change us uh, so that we could be part of a blessing to this world and not part of the problem. Lord, I ask that you watch over my brothers and sisters, make them strong, wise, brave, and compassionate, and help each of us to glorify your name in what we think, what we do, and what we say. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless.